Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic podcast, the AFL was formed in 1960. And unlike the NFL, this league slowly opened the door of both scouting and drafting HBCU players. Lloyd Wells kicked that door wide open. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, we moving. NFL historians, this show isn't necessarily for you. If you want to listen, please listen. Please listen. And to those who already know this stuff, golf clap. Golf clap. But for those who don't, welcome in. This show is for those who don't know as much. NFL history, that is. So we are here to enlighten. But please correct me if I'm wrong. I'm always here to learn. It's the Behind the Mic Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Neal Jr. This show is presented by Belly Up Sports, the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Bellyupsports.com. Check this show up. Check this show out as well as our website. And you can catch my show as well as others on big time platforms, such as our main one, Spreaker. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R, Spreaker. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, also on YouTube. Let's get the show going. Look, it's not going to last that long today because I kind of wanted to take my time with this subject. So we're going to dive right into the thing you will love the most, the rundown. Week 9, Super Bowl rematch week and also upset Sunday. Uh, There were five games that featured old Super Bowl games, old Super Bowl matchups, all right? So let's start with the first one, Thursday night football. It was a rematch of Super Bowl three, Colts, Jets. In the third quarter, Indianapolis, Indianapolis led the New York Jets 42 to 10. Then they took a nap. This after Jets quarterback, Mike White, who was the hero the week before, suffered a forearm injury and left the game in the first quarter. Third stringer Josh uh, Johnson comes in, he throws for 300 yards, three touchdowns, but it wasn't enough. Too much Carson Wentz. Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. Titans fans, I guess beware. Maybe, just maybe though, I'm underselling this, maybe overselling it. But the Cleveland Browns played this long without OBJ. Does it really make a difference now that he's gone? I mean, officially, he's been waived from the Browns. And look, truth be told, he never wanted to be there to begin with. We heard that after he made that jump and he played nice and said, Yeah, I love Cleveland. Yeah, okay. Uh, if his former LSU teammate Jarvis Landry wasn't there, he would have made a little bit more of a stink about being traded to Cleveland from New York, from the Giants. I honestly believe that. That that I believe that to be a fact. Look, the Browns are a running team. I know you wanted the ball, but the Browns are a running team. Baker Mayfield flourishes by springing the ball all over the field, throwing to his running backs, to his tight ends, to the other wide receivers, short, long, medium. 
and he's not throwing the football as much either. If he's throwing the ball 30, 40 times, that might be a problem. You've seen this. It's the truth. The, the proof is in the game film. Just watch it. Look at the numbers, okay? Uh, but the Browns, they also play very good defense, too, on the other side. No, yeah, by the way, they did beat the Cincinnati Bengals Sunday 41-16. to Denzel, Denzel Ward had that 99-yard pick six. Very nice. Burrow, though, Joe, you have to stop doing that, all right? You don't want people jumping off the train too soon. All right, Broncos at Cowboys. Rematch of Super Bowl twelve. Ooh-wee. Yeah, I'm calling names this week. I've already got on them. And y'all don't know any of these people. Cedric, Carlos, any other Cowboy fan out there. How did you feel with six minutes and 32 seconds left to go in the fourth quarter? Down 30 to nothing. Yeah. Be advised, though. I do not hate the Cowboys at all. But look, I've been hearing a lot of people counting W's as they went down the schedule. <coughs> Cedric, um... But even though I, I did not expect that game to go that way, did not. Not a chance in Hades. Okay, so Bills, Jaguars, great game by Josh Allen. Just really great game. Eight tackles, you know, led the team, a sack, fumble recovery, an interception. Yes, no, yeah, you know by now. I'm not talking about the Bills quarterback. My bad. Not the Bills quarterback. I'm talking about Josh Allen of the Jags. I forgot that this guy from out of Kentucky, he was a first-round draft pick as well. So, I mean, apparently he was some kind of good, right? <laughs> By the way, yeah, his sack on the Bills quarterback was the first sack in history by someone sacking with the same name. That was pretty cool to find that out a couple days ago. That, that, that was great. But I don't think Buffalo likes the AFC South too much. Two of their three losses on the season have been to the Titans and now the Jaguars, of course. Pittsburgh got them on week one. Uh, and also, their schedule has been proven already by the experts. They have had the easiest schedule. So they are a good team, clearly, but they've built their five wins up on the also-rans, all right? The, the, the garbage can juice of the league, uh, except the Jaguars kicked a bunch of field goals on, fun, on Sunday and uh, yeah, Sunday fun day on Sunday and beat them. All right, I'm sorry. Yeah, Bills fans, that's that's not nice, is it? Look, unless there are all zeros on the clock, the Ravens are never out of a football game with Lamar Jackson at quarterback. Okay, Baltimore, they came back to win their third game of the season where they trailed by double digits in the second half. They have got to stop doing this. I don't know how much longer they can keep that up. You know, you're down double digits every other game. It's going to luck to run out eventually, but look, they keep winning. And this time, the Vikings, they were the victim of Justin Tucker's game-winning field goal. And by the way, yes, they win because of the athlete, not athletes, in my opinion. If Lamar was not on that squad, it would not happen. It would not happen for that team. I don't care how many other guys are out there that can run, jump, and all of that stuff. If that dude does not get them the football or has to be accounted for with his ability to not just escape but to run, yeah, they, they, they're they dead in the water. So this guy is truly MVP material. Houston and Miami, nine turnovers. Somebody put both of my eyes out with a hot poker, please. Please do that. I mean, you had two one-win teams coming in on a seven-game losing streak apiece. Somebody had to win. Miami, they picked up their second. Okay. Falcons kicker, Young Ho Koo, 
He had to save Atlanta's bacon again, this time in the Big Easy. They beat New Orleans. Uh, it was in overtime. The Saints had to score 22 points in the fourth quarter to take a one-point lead before Koo eventually kicked the game winner. That was that 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 was amazing. That, the Falcons, they find a way. The Giants, they beat the Raiders Sunday. Uh, Giants DB Xavier McKinney, he was basically the difference. He had a pick six on Derek Carr. And speaking of pick sixes, Panthers hosting the Patriots. Rematch of Super Bowl 38. That was a great game, by the way. I have a feeling that the Panthers will be starting P.J. Walker next week after Sam Darnold threw three interceptions, including a pick six on a bad throw to J.C. Jackson of the Patriots. By the way, I didn't know since 2018, J.C. Jackson actually has the most interceptions during that span. Um, but it looks like they're going to be starting him anyway because it, news just broke on the NFL.com that Darnold has a fractured scapula. The right shoulder injury will likely lead him lead to him missing several weeks. P.J. Walker will fill in as the starter. I think that was going to happen anyway. Anyway, Chargers-Eagles, two fourth down conversions, and a game-winning field goal by L.A. led to Philly quarterback Jalen Hurts just shaking his head on the sidelines. Yeah, he looks disgusted. Yeah, he don't like losing too much. Packers-Chiefs, Super Bowl one rematch. Jordan Love definitely needs more reps. He doesn't ever get to play. So what do you expect? I don't even think he's ever played in mop-up duty. Aaron Rodgers is trying to keep that dude on the bench as long as possible. And, yeah, no comment on Aaron Rodgers. No, personally, I mean, I'm a vaccine guy. I'm fully vaccinated. I'm going to get that booster shot. And if you don't want to do it, all right. I mean, I guess that's your choice. Um, And Aaron Rodgers, I I guess do you, man. Uh, Mask up. Do what you're supposed to do. Uh, but anyway, as far as the Chiefs are concerned, have you ever seen the first Thor movie? The one with Chris Hemsworth when, you know, they got part of this Avengers thing starting uh, with the Marvel movies. Thor got his power in that movie stripped away by his father Odin because he basically was a jerk and super arrogant. At the end of the movie, he has to fight what's called a giant sentinel, you know, without his powers. And he eventually gets it done, beats the guy and he gets his powers back. The Chiefs are Thor. That's who the Chiefs are. You could definitely say that they they had their superpowers of scoring points taken away from them. Now, am I calling them arrogant? Probably not, but they definitely have been humbled in these in this season. Just this season. I mean, they were Super Bowl favorites coming in. And now they're barely scoring any points. I mean, we've had what two games where um Mahomes has thrown one touchdown. I mean, what is that all about? And he's my fantasy quarterback. Boy, I picked him up just in time, didn't I? Looked like it was good at the beginning of the season. But uh, look, they've been getting it done some kind of way without scoring a whole lot of points, 40, 50 points, and without Mahomes throwing 45 touchdowns. I mean, they scored in the 30s, you know, a good majority of the season, but that hasn't always equaled a win. But here in the last two weeks, they beat the Giants scoring 20. And then Sunday, they beat uh, the Pack with 13. Mm. Good Lord. Look, as much as I keep up with the NFL rosters, there's always going to be a surprise, especially at the quarterback position. I honestly forgot about Colt McCoy. Kyler Murray didn't play Sunday. And McCoy, he led that offense without missing a beat. The Cardinals beat, by the way, 
the 49ers in Santa Clara thoroughly. And without Murray, without DeAndre Hopkins, who's nursing the hamstring, without A.J. Green, San Francisco is now 1-8 at home over the past two seasons. That's not good. And, of course, Sunday Night Football, Super Bowl 34 rematch between the Titans and the Rams. A little bit of a different outcome on Sunday. I like that 28-16 win that the Titans got. The Rams couldn't stay out of the penalty box. Too many penalties on the day. And the Titans' defense dominated. Kevin Byard had his first pick six of his career. Jeffrey Simmons, defensive lineman for Tennessee, he wore quarterback Matt Stafford like a coat. He was constantly in his face, and so was the rest of the defense. But Simmons had three sacks. The Titans' offense did just enough because, look, the Rams, Aaron Donald, and Little, all those guys, that, that and yeah, Von Miller didn't play yet. That defense is still nasty. Jalen Ramsey and all those, they are still nasty. But, look, the Titans' offense, they did just enough. Adrian Peterson, he actually scored a touchdown. How about that? But he is looking really slim, a little skinny. We didn't get that guy's sandwich. Monday Night Football last night. Remember, today's Tuesday. Bears at Steelers. Look, Pittsburgh, they led 20-6 going into the fourth quarter. You blink, and they never were down 27-26 because Justin Fields and that Bears offense they woke up and finally just start, started to play ball. I think they took a nap throughout the duration of the game. They couldn't stay out of the penalty box either. And, oh, man, we got to talk about that one kid that got called up from the practice squad that was flagged for taunting and really extended that one that drive when it should have been fourth and 15. Yeah, his arms didn't look great with all those tats on him. It, it did. It, yeah. Ooh, yeah. It, that was different. It didn't look good. Not a good good look. Anyway, look, Boswell, he kicks the game winner in the end, uh, and the Steelers win, but my heart was in my throat with two seconds left. Carlos Santos, he had that 65-yarder. From the angle of the camera, looked like it just bounced off the front of the crossbar, but actually it fell well short. And look, I know it's Chicago. I know they have a losing record, and they've, they've been whack, but they get paid too. They get paid too. Coming up next, going up into the 1960s, things began to change racially, not just in the country, but with professional football. And when the AFL came along, there were some moves that were made, especially by the Kansas City Chiefs, that would break open avenues for HBCU players. From about 1892 to 1964, African-Americans had to play at black colleges for the most part. Why? One word. Segregation. They weren't welcome at local universities that fielded pretty much all white teams. I told you guys about the exhibit I walked through past this past summer at the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta. It was filled with first. There's a reason for that. Starting in the 1890s from Michigan to Nebraska with players like George Jewett and George Flippin. In the 1920s through the 1960s, you had players like Jack Trice, Iowa State, William Exum. Of course, you got these three guys from UCLA, Jackie Robinson, you know him, Kenny Washington and Woody Strode. Richard Washington, who I believe was the first black player to actually play for Notre Dame. 
Then there was uh, Homer Floyd and Nate Northington. Northington played was the first player uh, African-American at Kentucky. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Ooh, hold up. Just got a new sale, order fulfilled, and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. Oh, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Shopify.com slash free22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. There was a host of many, many more names with first black players to play at certain universities and then certain conferences. But then there's the next level. Now, last week, we talked about the LA Rams and their their uh their scout Eddie Cottle, who's not in the Hall of Fame, but he deserves to be. This man basically set the stage, and he is supposed to be and is referred to as the father of modern day scouts. It's crazy that Gil Brandt, who came along and was on that staff as well with the Rams in the 40s and 50s, I mean in the 50s. He was also referred to as the father of modern day scouting. That's because he started using computers and stuff like that. Really, it was Kotal in, in reality. So, but unlike Kotal, Brandt ended up inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame as a contributor in 2019. The only reason I could think that Kotal was not in was because the Rams had won only a single championship while he was there. I mean, you had 1951, but the fact that they were in the championship in 45, the year before he got there. And then they were in the championship 49, 50, 51, they won it. And in 1959, uh, 55, excuse me, the Rams were also in the playoffs in 67, 69, and 73. And that's all due to that host of players that he helped bring in. So let's revisit what a scout actually is. They find talent. They have an eye for evaluating players and projecting not only how good they are, but how good they will be. Also, scouts do a lot of traveling to different colleges and universities. Remember, across the country they go. When they do this, they develop relationships with the coaches, administration, athletic directors, and there's a level of trust that is built. They know them. Not only do they know where to eat and things like that, but they, they know that person. They have a person personal relationship with that scout. And so do the players. Why is that important? You know, players definitely have to trust what a scout is saying. What, they, what, what they're telling them. This determines what they're telling them. 
it determines whether or not they are actually truly worthy to play in the league and really tells you where they stand with the league. You know, you hear about these guys. Well, I was told I was only going to be a, a fifth or sixth round pick quarterback. Kenny Pickett, that's at uh, Pittsburgh right now. I think he's like a fifth year senior. He was told that and he decided to stick around an extra year. It's paying off dividends. It looks like he'll probably go in the first or second round now for Pittsburgh, for the Panthers. But that's the reason why, you know, you have scouts that evaluate and they tell you, you know, what you're going to be. And it tells you where they stand with NFL teams. That aside, there are hits and misses in scouting. I don't need to go into that right now. But as far as knowing what a scout is and knowing what the times were like leading up to 19, the 1960s, okay? Let's remember that the NFL was the league for professional football. Although the NFL had their fair share of minorities that played in the league, they weren't exactly getting them from HBCUs. Most of the guys, for the for the most part, they were coming from the big colleges. The few that did get let into these bigger, better schools, they were getting a look. But not the kids where these scouts and GMs and coaches did not have a relationship with. They didn't go to their campuses. Look, I mean, if I don't know you and you show up, okay, so if you ever seen Animal House, <laughs> if you've never seen Animal House, you probably won't get this what I'm about to say. So you have, you know, the white kids that come from the university and they decide to go take these girls out from this, I guess it was all girls school, it's just a nearby college, I can't remember which. But they take these girls out and they end up at a black juke joint. And when they walk in, the, the music stops. And it's like, and everybody's turned around looking. Several, several movies have done this. You know, you got the white people that walk into the black, the black bar or the black, you know, place. And we've seen the same thing when, you know, a, a black person walks into a white establishment or something like that. And the music stops talking about it in these movies. That would be the reaction to some of these scouts that who have no relationship with any of these black schools. It's like, okay, so did you make a wrong turn somewhere? That's that's what that would be like if they were because they have no relationship. They don't know who you are. You, they don't know who you are, and especially if you see and know that historically y'all not coming to our campuses. You're not really trying to recruit our players. So you know why should we trust you? But I'm sure that they they wanted to go to the league and play professional football. Of course they did. But like I said, they had their the NFL had their fair share. All right. Going back to Eddie Cottle, you know, he's credited for going to colleges and universities that were small and even some HBCUs, but it definitely wasn't the norm. Let's be real. Most of the black talent were still at historically black colleges and many NFL scouts, GMs, coaches and owners had very little interest in looking in that direction. Again, segregation, racism and all the like. <laughs> That's what it was. That same list of NFL upper management had little interest in having blacks do anything else but play. Certain positions, of course. <laughs> they didn't want you to play quarterback or middle linebacker. Uh, but there were also no African-American scouts. Very few scouts, but very, and no African-American scouts. I mean, if you know these men can play, wouldn't it be a good idea to have an African-American scout to be in that territory? Somebody that knows. 
Okay, so the AFL starts up in 1960, the rival league, and they actually started bringing in some black players from those HBCUs. But there still wasn't a true pipeline. So Lamar Hunt, founder of the AFL and owner of the Kansas City Chiefs, started off as the Dallas Texans from 1960 to 1962, hired a man named Lloyd Wells, who would become the first full-time black scout in pro football. So who is this guy? Who is he? Have you ever heard that name? No? Now, I remember when I first got introduced to him, like I told you before, I watched a lot of NFL films growing up on like VHS tapes. I wasn't watching it on NFL Network like it is now. That stuff was not on NFL Network. There was no NFL Network yet. You had to watch ESPN or you know, and catch these, these um, Super Bowl memories and things like that. I remember watching, um, it may have been America's Game, but I think it was also uh, Super Bowl Four, where the Kansas City Chiefs were playing the Minnesota Vikings. And there's this guy that's standing close to Hank Stram. Let's go. Come on. And he's clapping his hands. And I'm thinking, who is this guy? And he's a black guy. You know, and I'm like, is he a coach or something like that? It turned out this was Lloyd Wells. And he was the first full-time black scout in pro football. He was a native of Houston and a graduate, graduate of Texas Southern University and a World War II Marine who eventually was promoted to the rank of sergeant, something rare in those days as well. Afterwards, he would eventually find his way into journalism, becoming an editor, writer, and a sports photographer for multiple black newspapers for the Houston area. Among those were the Four Times, the Informer, and the Defender. And according to Arrowhead1.com, it is said that he would fuse activism and sports in his publications. More importantly, the man had a relationship with both HBCU players and coaches in the South. So how does a man who had zero experience with scouting land a job? land that job with the Chiefs first off because he had that relationship with HBCUs but now look from what I read Lamar Hunt met Lloyd Wells at a black college all-star game but before that Wells had tried gaining the interest of Bud Adams the owner of the Houston Orders he was number two in the Foolish Club Lamar Hunt started off and he went to Bud Adams who also wanted an NFL team and they were the first two guys who got into the Foolish Club, who was the owners, the group of owners who started the AFL. But Adams of the Houston Oilers, apparently it didn't go, go very well, all right, according to Samuel Friedman of TheUndefeated.com. At the time, the first three seasons, to be exact, the Texans, of course, uh, the uh, Chiefs were the Dallas Texans, and a couple of years after that, that brought they brought on the man that was known as the judge. He earned that nickname because of he has that he had that eye for talent. The judge. He brought him on to the football staff as that first African American pro scout in pro football history, and it paid major dividends. Now, just remember, everybody didn't like that though. I read on um, Chiefs.com, and I'm gonna quote from that that. It was a daring hire, according to Mike McCambridge, who was the author of the book, 69 Chiefs, A Team, A Season, and the Birth of a Modern of Modern Kansas City. He said this during a phone interview. You have to remember, it's not that he was just the first black scout to be hired full time. There weren't many scouts around, period, black 
all white. Said that earlier. And that was very daring to hire somebody black to have that job where there weren't a whole lot of scouts. They were just getting started doing this thing, right? Wells was responsible for eight players that turned out to be all pros for the Kansas City Chiefs and four pro football Hall of Famers. But before that, you have to think about the fact that you have a black scout that was bringing all these black players. Several articles pointed at a telegram that Lamar Hunt's father, H.L. Hunt, received that called him basically a Marxist or a communist because he was bringing in all these blacks. But look at the resume. From Grambling, Buck Buchanan and Goldie Sellers. From TSU, Tennessee State University, James Marsalis, Nolan Smith, Willie Mitchell. And from Southern, Robert Holmes, Frank Pitts, Otis Taylor from Prairie View, Willie Lanier, Morgan State, and Emmett Thomas from Bishop. Lanier was the first black middle linebacker in pro football history. Buchanan was the first number one pick drafted from an HBCU. Thomas and Taylor are also, they're both, all of these guys, they're all in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And speaking of Otis Taylor, the, Taylor, the, I, I've said this before. If you go back and listen to the episode called The Other League, that's when I talked about the AFL. And at the time, the NFL and AFL, they were fighting, literally fighting for players. And there was a thing that the NFL did was called Operation Babysitter. So they would take a player that they really liked and they would hide him. They would put him in hotels or, or camp around their houses or whatever it took to, to keep people to watch and keep everybody else away from that player. That's how they signed players. And it was so competitive and so ridiculous. So Otis Taylor and his Prairie View AM teammate Seth Cartwright, they got invited to Dallas. For Thanksgiving. Now keep this in mind. The Philadelphia Eagles had already drafted Otis Taylor, but the Cowboys were still trying to sign both of them. So Lord Wells calls Taylor's mother. You have to understand that Wells actually knew Otis Taylor and his family going all the way back before he was a teenager. Which is, you know, this is the pull and the reach that Lloyd Wells had. So he calls his mother to find out where they are and the mom gives Wells uh, Otis Taylor's girlfriend's number to him says call her he, she knows where to find him he finds out that both players are being well, I hate saying being held but they're at a Holiday Inn with a Dallas, a Dallas Cowboys lookout staying in a room across the hall Project Babysitter so Lloyd Wells pulls up and he basically contacts him uh, contacts Taylor and he sneaks both Taylor and Cartwright out of the window of their Holiday Inn hotel room. They sign with the Kansas City Chiefs and the rest is history. The 69 Kansas City Chiefs, they were a 12 and a half point dog to the NFL champion Minnesota Vikings. All of these players, now keep in mind, he's not signing, I mean, not really scouting just black players, but I think that was his, that was his primary thing, right? So check this out. So, you know, of course, they figured the Chiefs would get a big beat down against the NFL champion Minnesota Vikings, just like they did a couple of years before in Super Bowl one by the Green Bay Packers, right? 33-14, that wasn't pretty. Kansas City wins the game 23-7 in the last AFL-NFL championship game before the merger. Did you know 
that the Kansas City Chiefs were the first championship team to have a majority of their starters being black. Now, Freeman's article article in The Undefeated, and I quote this, in 1969, the Chiefs had 13 players from HBCUs on their 44-man roster, the most in pro football, including African-Americans from predominantly white schools. The Chiefs starting lineup featured a majority of black starters, 12 of 22 to be exact, which had never happened in a championship game. That is amazing. That is change. Lloyd Wells, he was described as a man of style with an energetic personality that drew people. And it was his personality that led to his success as an NFL scout. He ultimately, (laughs) the Chiefs, they made it not only the championship games, but they also won a Super Bowl. The man, uh, he passed away, I believe it was in 2006 of leukemia. Um, and then, I mean, but before that, I mean, he had at age 78, the man had lived a life. Um, he actually w- was well, was, was doing really well, uh, on and off the field. And he's in the college, uh, the black college football hall of fame as well. Now I believe he had, he should have a place in the pro football hall of fame, just like Eddie Cole. And this man brought in some serious talent to the Kansas City Chiefs organization. And I'll have more to say next week on Lamar Hunt. Uh, Just a little thought that I had. But look, if Lloyd Wells helped lead the Kansas City Chiefs to a championship, the next African-American scout would help lead his team to a dynasty. Oh yeah, and this dude, he made his entrance into the league also in, well, not also, but in 1969, the year the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. References, let's get to them. Let's get to them. <laughs> All right. Thanks to Talk of Fame Network. State your case. Lord Wells was a trailblazing NFL scout. Also, Chiefs.com remembering the NFL's first full-time black scout, Lord Wells. Also, Black College Football Hall of Fame.org, the history section. And 247sports.com, an article by Jordan James dated February 13th, 2019. First black player in history of major college football programs. Also, the book, America's Game, the NFL at 100, co-authored by, yeah, y'all should know that by now, Randy O. Williams and Jerry Rice. And we close it. The Behind the Mic podcast, I have been your host, Michael Neal Jr., the show is presented by Billy of Sports, the Billy of Sports Podcast Network, BillyOfSports.com. Please check out their website. Lots of great articles as well as leading you to our shows on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube. Tell your mama, your daddy, your granddaddy, your sons, daughters, baby daddies, and your fathers, brothers, uncles, sisters, cousins, sisters, nephews, former roommates out. Mary 
redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.